You're listening to Privacy Insights, brought to you by Picasso. Hello and welcome to Picasso Privacy and Security Insights. I'm Steve Wright, here today with another guest from the Picasso board, Dr. Philip Rafer, who is Group Chief Privacy Officer for Allianz. And today, Philip has kindly written a short piece, which you can read more by just clicking on the link below, on privacy by design and default, safeguarding personal data in a global company. So I'm delighted to welcome you here today, Philip. Once again, this short series will be about 15 minutes, and this is episode three of series one, and let's crack on. Hello, welcome. Hi, Steve. Nice talking to you, and thank you for having me here on this podcast. Well, I think your rich tapestry of experience and knowledge on this subject is absolutely spot on, Philip, because you've been at the sharp end as chief privacy officer you're at the sharp end of this issue i know from various research and from clients and cpos that i work with around the world that privacy by design and default is one of those kind of tricky issues that that we all grapple with and obviously you know your paper which i read with delight is talking about the sort of technical measures and the organizational measures and I think it's it's really, it's not as straightforward as people think. It's not just the DPIA, which we can ask you some questions about in a moment, but it's much broader than that. It's very much cultural, as you say in your paper. And I think that's a really good point. So, look, I've got a few questions I'd like to ask you. But before we crack on, is there anything you want to say about your paper before I far away with these questions? No, I think you, you're spot on, Steve. So, I mean, privacy by design, by default, is really at the heart, you know, of any privacy program. And it, it sounds really good and, you know, comprehensive. But as you said, sometimes in practice, it's, you know, very hard to, to implement and follow. And therefore... It's perhaps worth elaborating a little bit more on the detailed steps, which are ultimately leading to privacy by design and default. Yeah. And I'm assuming, Philip, that this is very much part of your week to week, certainly, or month to month, where you're looking at some of these issues or advising the business or your teams are advising. So this must be really relevant for you, I would have thought. Definitely, definitely. You know, when when we had a GDPR already five times, five years back, you know, that's where we started implementing. But ever since, it's a house where you keep building and improving. So I would even say on a daily basis, you live it, but you also improve processes. And yeah, this is really the heart of everything. Yeah. That's a very good point, because I think there was a misconception that if we got compliant, then we could walk away yeah. and leave everything working. But you're right, it's constant improvement. I live in an old house, and it constantly needs jobs to be <laughs> right, right so, through the roof. Again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is, this is a good analogy for what we're talking about today. So first question then, Philip, 
what is the major impact for privacy by design and default process caused by the increasing implementation of AI technologies on organizations? This is very topical. Yeah, yeah, no, very good question and very current, right? As companies also, Allianz and others are using more and more AI technologies. And I think it's even more important there. I mean, we talk a lot about AI regulation, but even now with all the privacy regulation, you know, we need to do so much, right? We need to be transparent, you know, have a legal basis for the use of data, avoid inaccuracy, bias, and discrimination. So again, that principle totally applies to the implementation of AI technologies. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. So considering AI tools uh, essentially require different data sets to do the training on. We've got an ML AI project going on internally at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, t- you know, we're training the data and the algorithm. So how would you address data minimization on projects that involve these types of technologies? Yeah, that's the tricky questions, right? <laughs> that comes a lot with, you know, the digitalization. As we know, you know, the digital world really needs off data. And, and we all know we can only have good AI if it's trained with a lot of data. Or now, you know, generative AI, it's even in the name LLMs, large language models, right? It's large, right? So there there seems to be a contradiction, but if you look a bit closer, it's perhaps not the case. Because what we are also realizing, you can also limit the data here. And often I see that in my daily business, often pseudonymized or even anonymized data is enough. And you don't have to go, you know, to the individual level. And I can give you a recent example from my practice. So we as an insurer, we have to calculate life expectancy. And in many countries, this is an issue. There's not a lot of data there, right? But you have to got it right. Otherwise, you're not issuing the right contract. And there AI helps gathering data, you know, are you a smoker, what are your habits? But all that data can really be gathered on a pseudonymized or even a numberized level. And that we've used to train AI and have great results without ever going into the details of personal data. So that is an example where we have AI trained with a lot of data, yet yep are observing the data minimization model here. That's a fantastic example because that really does bring it to life. And what you're talking about is a very practical way of simply anonymizing the data and learning from that. When I was at John Lewis, we did exactly that. A bit of pseudonymization and anonymization for our data <clears throat> insights and for profiling purposes so that we could design better ads uh, better offers for our customer base. So thank you. <clears throat> I really do like that example. So what's the biggest challenge then you've faced without giving away any company secrets 
when implementing privacy by design in either a system, a process, a service, or some sort of project? What's been your biggest challenge? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, since GDPR and all these developments, I think the mindset of people changed, right? They now really appreciate the benefit of privacy that it adds on trust with the individuals. So you don't argue so much anymore privacy as such. But what I see as a challenge, especially in big companies, so for example, Allianz has 120 million customers, 150,000 employees. And many of these colleagues are starting now new systems, products, services, and projects. And not everyone is aware that they should involve privacy or by that matter, information security or compliance. And there are many people sometimes who run off and then we have to call them back and say, wait <laughs> a minute here. You also need to consider this and that. Is a privacy notice? Is there an agreement with the data processor in place? And this is just the awareness, the knowledge of the colleagues in big organizations that they have to do some certain things, right? That is still a challenge. Yeah, and I think that I would agree with that. And also, let's be honest, with an organization of your size, 150,000 employees, then that, that those employees are constantly changing. Of um, when at John Lewis, we had six call centers and staff turnover was so high. Mm. People would come in, sure, temp people. You've still got to get them thinking differently and understanding and identification of DSARs and things like that, you know, so the training was just a constant or is a constant. So I think that's a really, a really great point, Philip. Thank you. So my other question was, right. So we know that privacy by design is a process that needs to be constantly checked against organizational projects, etc. What do you recommend in keeping from privacy values and principles in place throughout that product project or that life cycle? I mean, so we're talking about privacy by design, which is conceptually done at the beginning of a project or even before the project has materialized. But, it, it, you know, how do you keep that in place? How do you make sure the checks and balances are done throughout the life cycle or throughout the project duration? Yeah, yeah no, that's also an excellent question, Steve. And I would say two things. One is an organizational one, and the second one is more a people topic. So for the organizational one, what I see, it's really needed that you have good processes in place. Let's say third-party management that when you are looking for a third party that you already have a questionnaire in the selection process, then that you have a good contract in place, but during the execution of the contract that the vendors are checked and when they are terminated, you know, that the data, for example, is deleted, right? And especially in these big companies, as you say, with a lot of staff turnover, there needs to be a good protocol from A to Z. I mean, without having too much red tape, but on the other hand, I think these organizational steps are necessary that by privacy, by design, fold at all these 
steps in the life cycle of data is looked at, right? So yeah. this is a more organizational one, but the people part is what they brings to life is also important. And we as data protection officers, we are many in Allianz, we are almost 200 globally, but again, compared to that 150K employees, it's nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why we have so-called privacy champions. And I these think, are people in the first line in the business, not doing this full time, mm -hmm. but just being a little bit the data protection's ear, eye and mouth. And they're being trained, right? And yeah. then they hear when there's something with data happening, say, oh, we need to check here. Do we have a legal basis or do we have a privacy notice or let's call the DPO, right? So this is more the people element, but just okay. that you have your network of privacy champions in the business. And that's why, Philip, we're so grateful that you can give up time for such ancient causes as Picasso and do this podcast with 200 DPOs and privacy champion network you must be a busy man. And, yeah, yeah. And, and these are, by the way, I should mention this in Allianz, these are roughly 2,000 privacy chimps. <laughs> so it's wow. big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big. So that's probably the highest number I think I've ever come across. I thought I was pushing it with 200. <laughs> John Lewis, but that's, that's brilliant. Well, congratulations for that. Thank you. Uh, there's the whole case study. We could probably do a podcast on that. <laughs> But anyway, look, my final question, because we're now nearly 15 minutes, would you believe? So how do you ensure that those privacy professionals, those champions, those DPOs who are, or even not just, you know, the people who are involved in the system, the product design, the service development, how do you kind of manage to ensure that they're doing this, you know, as per the protocol or as per, what's your sort of checks and balances on that? How do you? Yeah, and given the size of the network. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that also ties together what you said in the beginning with the turnover. And, you know, especially with these 2000, it's a very loose uh, network and you can yeah. only keep that alive with constant interaction. So, you know, yeah. my data protection officers, they at least have the obligation to meet once a quarter with their privacy yeah. champions you know, educate them and remind them what they have to do or, uh, you know, latest developments. So I think really that people element of interaction, but then obviously also formalized training, right? So we have, for example, over and beyond of our normal privacy training, which each and every employee has to undergo a specific two-day privacy champion training, right? Oh, no. Okay. So, and that at the end, you then hopefully leave what I would also call a privacy culture then in the yeah. organization where you have these expert, the DPOs, but also the privacy champions. And then at the end of the value chain, also each and every employee who's been trained, who's heard about the issue and just thinking about it or thinking about whom to call it's already enough then to keep it going. Yeah, no, that fantastic. Listen, Philip, we have run out of time. Would you believe it goes so Wow. Yeah, that, that was, I know. 
So on behalf of Picasso and our community, I, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to write this short article and, and taking the time to explain on this podcast, especially when you've got a very big lot of responsibility. And yeah, so a big thanks. I'm going to sign off now by just saying thank you to our listeners. Please remember you can get involved with Picasso. It's one of the widest communities globally represented. And we've got some, apart from the Privacy Labs, we've also got that are underway and we've got some great outputs coming out later this year. But also we've got the Picasso Awards Ceremony on the 8th of November, recognising you, the people that actually contribute to this industry, which is a wonderful opportunity for us to all get together and recognise those diverse list of talents that are out there. And also the community website, which will be revised in the next couple of weeks and will be coming soon and will enable you to engage in various different communities. So we welcome your feedback. We welcome your membership, which is free. Get involved. Be part of this fantastic movement. So on behalf of Picasso, uh, thank you, Dr. Philip Rafer, Global Chief Privacy Officer from Allianz for joining us today. And I look forward to doing the next podcast in a few weeks' time. Thanks very much, Philip, and goodbye for now. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for the great questions and for having me here today. Goodbye. Thank you.